Uh, listen, we're in a series right now entitled Toxic. We've been talking and working through some different things, and uh, God has really just been blessing this series to minister to people. And I've heard different stories. Man, last week was an incredible time. We talked about toxic habits and uh, just had an interview with some people who had real-life experience of going through different habits in their life that were just tearing them apart. But then they had a relationship with Christ and everything turned around. And so I know that the same thing that can happen to them and that did happen to them can happen to us today. We can have a revival of spirit. And uh, we, we also have been talking about toxic relationships, toxic thoughts, things that the devil would put into our mind to have us to believe that just are not from God. They're not true. But yet many times as, as Christians, we let these thoughts get into our mind and we believe them. And then all of a sudden we become defeated. And so today you may be in a circumstance where you feel like, you know, I've got a lot going on in my life. Maybe you've even been hurt in church before. What I want to encourage you today with is this. I want you to, to be an overcomer. Be an overcomer. Don't be dictated and categorized by the circumstance that took place. I want you to overcome that today by the power of Jesus Christ and by the word of his testimony and be who God created you to be. Step back into what he would have for you. If you've got your Bibles today, um, we're definitely going to get in there. If you're a guest with us and you say, you know what, what does this church believe, Randy? I'm trying to figure you out. I don't know if, if you believe what I believe. Here's the deal. We believe God's word, okay? Our statement of faith is right here in this book. And I, we believe it wholeheartedly, everything about it. So if you're wondering, if you're curious, Man, we use the Bible here, and we stand on its truth, and we boldly proclaim it, and we won't apologize for it, because this is God's word, and this is what he's called us to do, is, is learn today. Um, as we kind of set this up, if you're getting in your Bibles there, go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Um, we're going to be in verse 11 today, um, and we're going we're gonna to use a lot of scripture. God really today, um, just in pre preparation for this message, I just want to tell you, this week, in, in my time with God alone, I just felt like the Lord was speaking to me several different things. And I feel like today would be a great day to just talk about um, what I've seen as a pastor. Now, I've been a pastor for very long, but I've been in ministry for quite some time. And I see some different things take place that destroy people's faith. And so today I want to bring to you what I would call toxic faith. Toxic faith. These would be the things that destroy your faith the fastest. And this is just me and my observation from my, my perspective, okay? Um, being in the pastor's shoes is different being in the associate pastor's shoes. It's different than being, in, in, you know, just a staff member or maybe even a volunteer. And it's, it's different than just being a congregational member or a volunteer of any kind. Um, this, the, the pastor himself, he has a different perspective of what takes place because he sees maybe differently than what everybody else sees. He sees more of the pie, okay? Whereas you may see just a piece of what goes on. He sees the seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you know, what's going on. He sees and he hears from the heart of people. He sees when people are broken. He sees when, when the devil's really attacking. And I, I've just taken observation. I'm sure there's more than five things today that destroy our faith. I'm, I'm totally convinced there's way more than five. But these are five that I just wanted to take a moment to share with you because I believe that God wants us to live a great life. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to have happiness. He wants us to have peace. And he wants us to experience life to the fullest, the life that he has created us and designed us to have. However, many times I look around and I see a, a group of people that say they believe in Jesus, but they're some of the most, you know, discouraged, depressed overwhelmed, frustrated, stressed out people that you'd ever see. And yet we say, well, we believe in Jesus and Jesus is the hope of the world, which we all believe because it says so in his word. 
but, but we don't necessarily live the life that God would have us to live. And this, the, you say, well, how do I know that God wants me to have a good life? Because I see in Jeremiah 29, 11 here in God's word, it says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Now, who said this? Look up on the screen there if you don't know. Says the Lord. Come on, says the Okay, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. Okay, God has not created you and said, you know, I'm just going to mess with this person all day. You know, I've created you and I'm just going to stress you out. I want you to be overwhelmed. I want you to be tired all the time. I want you to be frustrated. I want you to feel like you're under spiritual tackle. He didn't do any of that. That's not what he did. He said, he said, I have thoughts of peace towards you, not of evil. To give you what? To give you a... A future, a future. Now, now I don't know about you, but if, if I'm thinking about my future, I, I want to think about a good future, right? Like, I don't want to think about a bad future. Like, yeah, here's the future. Here's what's going to happen. Oh, man, here's what's going to happen, you know? And then we get all discouraged. And hope, and hope. So let me read this verse and just say it with the oomph and, and power that I believe Jeremiah wrote it for. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. There is hope in Jesus Christ today. And if you have a relationship with him and if you're obeying what he says to, to do, I'm telling you, he wants you to live a good life. He wants you to live a full life. He wants you to, to experience what you've never experienced before. But I believe there's some things that happen to us as followers of Christ that, that make us not live this verse out correctly. And it's just the observation of a pastor here. There's just different things that take place. But if you want to really experience true happiness, true joy, you have to live the vision. I've already talked about the vision to see what God sees and begin to do what he wants you to do. If you're not identifying God today, what is it that you want to uh, just tell me? What is it that you're trying to communicate to me? How today do you want me to live my life? If you're not actively doing that, I would venture to say you're probably not living the life that God would have you to live. Because how can you live God's life and what he would have for you when you don't even have a clue what he wants for you? When you're not actively communicating to him and saying, God, what do you want me to do today? It could be a, a job situation. You know, you're trying to figure out your next steps towards your job journey. And, uh, you know, you kind of take your own path that you think is right. But you really should probably consult with God on that. Say, God, what would you have me to do in this job situation? It could be a relationship. Maybe you're dating somebody and you're saying, you know, I just don't know if I should be with this person or not. You should go to God and you should ask God. Because God wants to give you a future and a hope. And he wants you to have thoughts of peace and not of evil. But many Christians that I see aren't living the life that God ultimately has called them to live. And I just am so discouraged by that because I know what God can do. I've seen the power of God. I've experienced, I've, I've felt his presence. I've seen what he can do. I've, I've not just heard, I've seen and I've experienced, I felt the power of God. I've seen him do great and mighty things. Uh, just to kind of give you a background, um, we, we're not from this area, my wife and I, we moved here from Ohio um, this past January. So we've only been here 10 months and we've seen God do some pretty incredible stuff. We were meeting in our house trying to gather this group of people together, anybody that would get behind the vision of this church to help us launch it. That's why we came to McKinney. We moved from Ohio to McKinney about 16 and a half hours away to start this church. We've seen God take a family of four and grow it into two services full of people who really want to see God do something great. I hear your stories, but I also see your pain. And I want to help you today. And so I, I'm not giving you this message as, hey, let me tell you what Randy knows and you don't know. This is something God's been working on my heart about. I sit here with you today as I give this message and I say, this is what God showed me. And I feel it. 
And I understand that if I could begin to live what I'm about to tell you, and if I could truly understand and believe it with all of my heart, my faith wouldn't be destroyed. Because here's what I know. I can only take you as far as a church as I've been. I can never take you to the top of the mountain if I don't know how to get there. So I've got to get there first in my journey. I've got to be in God's word. I've got to be in prayer. I've got to know what God would have for me. And once I understand it, then I can say, hey guys, this is the direction that I know God would have for my life. And I want you to see if God would lead you this direction. And it's amazing how God will use that to stir in people's lives. So there's five things today. If you got your outline um, and your pen, I'd like you to get that out at this time. It's scientifically proven. You say, I don't believe in science. All right, I don't know, but just come up with another reason to do this then, okay? Scientifically proven that if you write something down, you remember it longer. So I would like you uh, just for the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, 25 minutes maybe to just utilize our time to the best of your ability. Write some things down, fill in some blanks, wrestle with some of the questions in the end and just see what God will do. Um, There's five things that I believe will destroy your faith fast. It'll be quick. If you're a Christian, you say, you know what? I want to continue to follow Christ and I want to be a good Christian. I want to be a good follower of Christ and I don't want to falter and I don't want to wane. Then you got to pay attention to this next five things that I'm going to give you because these destroy Christians fast. I've seen it for years. This is what happens. Number one, not believing that the Bible is 100% true as God's word. If you want your faith to be destroyed quick, I'm talking fast, fast, fast. This is number one right here. Not believing the Bible to be 100% true as God's word will destroy you fast. I already told you, we believe this book at Revolution Church cover to cover. Cover to cover. Well, I don't know. Something. Let me say that again. Cover to cover. Everything in it. From the very first page all the way to the maps in the back, we believe that they're all inspired by God. Every piece of this. Okay, so... I challenge you as a follower of Christ. You know, there, there are people that say, you know, I don't know if I believe God's word. I don't know if I believe everything about it. Did you know this? You may or may not heard this before. I've said it before, but you may not know. Over 80% of people um, don't believe that all of God's word is true. They believe that pieces of God's word is true, but not all of God's word. Now that's a huge statistic and that's a huge problem. I don't know if you realize the reality of what I just told you. There is an attack on this book. And it's an attack from Satan himself because he doesn't want people anywhere in any community to believe this is God's word. Holy, true, inspired by God. That's a problem. Um, My buddy over here, he sent me an email this week. Brother uh, Brian sent me an email. And he he sent me an email with a video. And one of the things in it was um, an indictment on the church. And I love that video, by the way. I got to listen to it. It was quite long, but I listened to the whole thing. It was like two hours long. It was like a movie. Um, But one of the things, it was great though. One of the things that was in there was that that we're not bringing it back to Jesus. We're not bringing it back to Jesus. And I think that the churches all across the world today, there's a lot of buildings and there's a lot of churches, but they're not making Jesus the forefront. And when we do that, and we stray away and the 80% don't believe that God's word is 100% true, there's a problem and we've got to fix it, guys. And this is something that's been brewing in my heart that we have to believe this book cover to cover no matter what it says, no matter if we like what it says. If this is truly God's holy word and this is what he wants us to know and live by, then we've got a major problem if we don't, especially if we believe he is who he said he was. 
it's an issue. But there's an attack going on against this word. Here's the thing I see a lot of times. People, um, people will live their life and they'll come in for marriage counseling or they'll come in for some sort of counseling and I'll begin to counsel with them and I'll begin to talk to them and give them some scripture and say, you know, God's word says this. And they say, well, I don't believe that part. And I say, well, how do you know what part to believe? And who makes the rules on that, by the way? You know, we, we believe the part about God loving us and, and God's supposed to take care of us and God's supposed to do all these things, but we don't believe the part about giving of our time or we don't believe the part about giving of our talent or of our treasure. Who makes the rules on that? Who makes the rules and says, well, I don't like the verse that says I need to be patient, you know, but I like everything else that's in God's word. We like the loving God, but we don't like the judgment God. You know what I'm saying? Like when it talks about in Revelation that God's going to throw people into the lake of fire if they don't know him, we don't want to talk about that. We don't hear that a lot preached even in, in churches anymore. But the reality is one day that will happen and that will be our relatives, that will be our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, people that we knew that we didn't share the gospel with. They're going to get thrown into the lake of fire and we don't tell anybody about that because we like to talk about the loving God. And then God is loving, but there will be a time of judgment as well. And so we've just got to be aware that there's an attack here. And your first step, if you're brand new to maybe coming to church, brand new as a, a follower of Jesus, you just decided to make him Lord, leader, and CEO, you've got to determine that you believe everything in this book. That's your first battle. And the first battle that Satan often wins is that one right there, because 80%, more than 80%, do not believe that God's word is God's word. Let me tell you what God's word says about God's word. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of who? Man, I'm sorry, of who, what, man? No, God. All the scripture has been inspired by God. Everything in this book came from God and it's profitable for some different things. It's profitable for doctrine, to teach us what we should believe. It's profitable for righteousness, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Halfway there, that the man of God may not measure up that the man of God may never be who God wants him to be. No, that the man of God may be complete, complete. When we stand on God's word, when we get into this book, when we apply its truths into our lives and we begin to obey what he would have for us, it, it, it does something to us. We become complete and we're thoroughly equipped at that point for every good work. There's a lot of people that they sound really good out there and they say, I wanna, I wanna get out, we need to serve our community or we need to do this or we need to do that, but they're not standing on God's word and so therefore they're not as effective as they could be. They're doing a lot of really good things, but if they're not standing on God's word firmly first, they're not nearly as effective as they could be because at this point, once we understand what the scripture is and we believed it to be 100% true, then we're equipped for the good work. It's like sending a soldier out to battle, but not giving him a gun, not giving him a tank. Saying, go, go fight the battle, but you don't have what you need. If you don't believe God's word, you're not equipped. So then whenever Satan comes and attacks you, here's what happened. Your faith, something toxic happens to your faith. It poisons your faith. Then all of a sudden, doubt creeps in. Doubt creeps in. You say, well, I just don't know if I believe in this stuff anymore. You know how many people I've met that come in and they're followers of Christ and they, they get excited about what God's doing. They trust Jesus with their life, but then the devil attacks and stomps out their faith and then they're no longer there. The devil wins. There's five things today that happened that really just destroy people. The first one was all about the attack on God's word. So the question to you is, do you believe God's word wholeheartedly, 100% true? You have to identify that today. And it's a personal thing. It's not, well, honey, what do you think? That doesn't matter. 
What matters is what do you individually believe God's word to be? The second thing that I believe will destroy your faith really fast is not believing in what we would call the Trinity. The Trinity, okay? I want to do some teaching today. God laid it on my heart to really teach, and every week's a little different. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're preaching. Sometimes you're teaching. Sometimes you're giving a sermon. Sometimes you're shooting vision out for what God can do in our church if we all rally together. There's different time periods in church, and today I just want it to be a thing where maybe you've never heard this word before, Trinity. I want to explain what that is. Basically, um, there are three functions of who God is. Okay? Three functions of God. So you came today, and I hope if you're coming to church, you wanted to hear what God's word was about, and you wanted a church that was going to stand on its truth and teach you something, because that's why I come to church, is to figure out, God, what do you want for me? What, what are you trying to show me so I can do what you want me to do? So here's what I want to teach you today. The Trinity is three functions. You have God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? So these three guys, you may have heard these terms before, and we mentioned them, and you're kind of going, who is that now? Okay, you mentioned Holy Spirit here. What's up with that guy? And now you're saying this God, and now you're saying Jesus Christ. What's going on? There's, there's three different names. They serve three different purposes, but it's all one God. It's all one God. It's called the Trinity, okay? Um, and here's, here's why this is important. Some people, there's an attack on who God is, okay? Talked about the attack on God's word. The second thing that the devil would have you to believe is that those, those three aren't as powerful as each other, that they're not even one. That one's more important than the other, and one doesn't even matter. Some churches talk a lot about God. They don't talk about the Holy Spirit. The church, the church background that I have um, in the Baptist world, they don't talk about the Holy Spirit. They're scared of the Holy Spirit. It's like crazy Uncle Eddie or something. We don't want to bring him up, you know what I mean? You bring him up, then somebody might start doing something crazy, and then you don't know what's going to happen, and you know, the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing that I see in God's Word. The Holy Spirit's all throughout the Bible. Okay, but then there's the flip side of that, where the only thing some churches focus on is the Holy Spirit. And they don't talk about Jesus and what he paid for, for our sins on the cross for. They don't talk about that. And so the problem that I see is that we're not treating God's word for what it says that, that God is. And so God, all across the board, three in one. Let me give you a good example of this. Um, let me throw some scripture at you real quick. John chapter 10, verse 30 says, I and my father are one. This was Jesus speaking, and he said, I and my Father are one. So there's a scripture that says they're the same dude, okay? They're not separate. They're not different. Some people would have you to believe they're different. They're not. But here's what I want to challenge you on. By not believing in Jesus and saying that he's God, here's what you're really saying. And this destroys faith fast. By not believing in Jesus, you don't believe that he died on the cross to pay for sins, now that presents a problem according to Romans chapter 3, 20, verse 23, which says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That presents a problem because if we're all sinners in need of a savior, but we don't put our faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on that cross for us, we can't go to heaven. So I would hope, you know, if you're sitting in the room today, you're saying, do I believe in Jesus or do I not? And you may not at this point, that's okay. I just want you to hear what I'm saying and then come up with a decision of what you believe at the end. You say, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Well, here's the deal. It's important to believe in Jesus because Jesus paid for our sins. According to uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, for the payment of sin is death, meaning that death pays for sin. Jesus came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And the way that he gave life was by taking our sin upon himself, shedding his blood upon that cross so that we could inherit everlasting life. His death paid for our sin. Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life, and it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the only way to get to heaven. 
So you have to believe in Jesus in order to get to heaven. So I hope that you do. But by not believing in Jesus, you're not having your sins paid for. Here's another one. By saying you don't believe in God, you're saying you don't believe he did what he said he did in Genesis chapter one, verse one, when he said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now that might present you a problem if you don't believe in God. You say, I don't believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus. I believe he paid for sins, but I don't know about God. That God guy, he's just weird. All right, here's the deal. God created everything that we know and see according to his word. Okay, so here's the problem that you're running into right now. I, I thought about it as I began to, to speak about this. You got a problem because it goes back to point number one. Do you believe God's word? Because if you believe that 100% of God's word is true and not just pieces of it, you believe all of it's inspired by God, like, like it says it is, then you would believe me when I say that God created the heaven and the earth because that's the very first verse of the very first chapter of, of this whole book. So you would believe in God. You would also believe in Jesus because he paid for sins, which is spoken about all throughout the New Testament. And uh, the last one here is the Holy Spirit. By not believing in the Holy Spirit, you don't believe that God lives inside of our hearts when we pray and ask him to. You don't believe that he walks with us. You don't believe that he's our comforter, as the Bible talks about. Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You're the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in to the pe people that ask him to, you know, to be followers, to, to have forgiveness of sin. You say, I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want you to come into my life, and I want to live the life that you've asked me to live. The Bible says that he will dwell in us at that point. And we can live a spirit-led life. Here's what John 14, 16 says. It says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you a, a, helper. a helper, that he may abide with you. How long? Forever. Now, you guys are weak today. How long? Forever. Forever. All right, there we go. There we go. Forever. Meaning, the Holy Spirit's not going to leave us or forsake us. He's with us forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Here's what happened. Jesus, he's sitting with his 12 disciples, and he's about to go up to heaven. He's about to die on the cross and pay for their sins. And right before he does that, he's sitting with them, and he says, hey, guys, listen, I'm going to be going away, and I'm going to be going into heaven. And when I leave you, I'm going to send this other guy, the Holy Spirit, as a comforter to you. Why did he do that? Let me kind of break it down. He did it because he was in flesh form. Jesus was here. He was flesh. He could only be in one spot at one time, even though he was God. He was walking around. If he was in Galilee, he was in Galilee. If he was in, you know, some other place, Egypt or whatever, he was in Egypt. But he was only one person, just like you and I can only be in one spot at one time. But when he left and when he went back to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden now he gave authority and power to be within us all. He can be anywhere and everywhere. So if you travel cross country over to Nevada or California or Florida and you still got the Holy Spirit living inside you, God is still dwelling there. I still have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, even though you're, you're all the way there and I'm all the way here, I still got the Holy Spirit. I love what Jesus did. He gave us a comforter. He gave us a help. But one of the fastest ways to destroy our faith is to not be clear on who God is. If the devil can get into your head, listen to me, if the devil can get into your head and get you to question your maker, your creator, your sustainer, your provider, your helper, your God, your leader, your Lord, your director, he's one. If he can get you to question it, 
Do you really believe all that? Man, he'll, he's good too, and he knows how to get you. But it starts with believing God's word, and it starts, secondly, with understanding the Trinity. Let me give you one last example of Trinity, because we don't cover it every week. It's not one of those things I bring up all the time. So let me just kind of teach you today uh, a good way to remember this. Um, when you think of a cup of water, you know, you got a cup of water. You can drink water. You can wash clothes with water. You can wash dishes with water. You can also do something different with water. You can, you can take it and you can put it in an ice tray and you can put it in the refrigerator and freeze it. And then what's it can do? It's, now it's ice cubes. Now any beverage that you bring out, you put that ice in there and it cools your beverage down. Nice, cool Mountain Dew, man. Oh, Mountain Dew, that's good, right? Something good about Mountain Dew. You're like, no, iced tea, sweet tea, right? Some of you people in Texas, what's weird about you is you don't like sweet tea as much as I like sweet tea. And I thought you'd for sure love sweet tea. Something wrong with you. You guys get that unsweet stuff. That's gross. That's gross. But amen, amen. Well, amen something. See, I couldn't find anything to amen, but there it was. All right, sweet tea. I love it. So you got that, that ice that can cool that beverage. It can also just be liquid form, but you can also do something else. You can put it in your steamer and make it steam. Now all of a sudden you can wrinkle all your clothes. You can wrinkle all your clothes? No. You can iron all your clothes. You can steam all your clothes and get the wrinkles out of your clothing. Now here's the deal. It's still water. Water is water. Water, it's either frozen, it's either a steam, or it's just a liquid. All three of them are still the same thing. It's just water, but it serves three different functions. That's God. God is God. One person but there was three different functions. Jesus came, he died for our sins. God the Father created the whole world and the Holy Spirit is here to dwell inside all those that believe. Does that make sense? Say yes. Yeah. All right. Anyone say no and we'll talk later, all right? We'll talk later. Um, that's important to understand who God is. It's so huge. There's a third thing that will destroy your faith really, really fast. Here's what it is. By not caring as much for the church as Jesus did. Ooh, this one's good by not caring as much for the church as Jesus did. Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 tells us how much Jesus loved the church. Go ahead and throw that scripture up there for them to see. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. What did he do? What did he do? He gave himself for her. He gave himself for her. Jesus, I told you, he died on that cross to pay for sins. Anything that we do wrong, anything that separates us from God, which would be sin. He died for that, to give us life. And Jesus Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself for her. And my question to, to you as a follower of Jesus today, do you love the church that much? Now let me talk about the church for a second. The church is not a building, as you can tell, because we're meeting in a daycare center, right? The church is not the building. The church is the people that follow Christ. The people, the people who believe this book who believe everything that it says. This is the church, man. The people are the church. Jesus cared about the church. Now I'm gonna give you the answer to how to care about the church in point number four here, because it ties right back in. Your faith will be destroyed fast when you don't take your next steps. When we don't take our next steps, that's number four, that's when faith is destroyed fast. It's toxic to you. You have to take your next steps. So what are some of your next steps? Well, for, for some people in the room today, you need to make a decision to trust Jesus with your life. You need to make a decision to say, you know what, today I'm gonna submit. And God, I'm gonna let you be leader, Lord, and CEO. And whatever you tell me to do is what I'll do. That's the next step for some people in the room. For other people, you say, I've already done that and I'm good there. Your next step is you need to get baptized. That's what the Bible says. Jesus set an example for us that those that were saved in the New Testament immediately were baptized. 
So there are some of you that you say, well, I've never been baptized and I, I know I need to. And dude, you need to. And you need to mark your communication card at the end of the service when we pass those buckets out. There's a spot on the back of your card to say, I want to get baptized. If you put that on there, we'll send you a bunch of information. We'll make sure you understand what that means. And then we'll baptize you because that's what God's word tells you to do. Ultimately, everything I'm telling you right now comes down to obedience. Are you willing to obey what this book says? And if you are, God does something. When we're defiant, he can't work. There are others of you that, you know, you've been saved, you've been baptized, and God's been saying, you know, you really ought to offer some time into the church and begin to minister to other people. Maybe he wants you to teach a class. Maybe he wants you to lead a, a revolution group. Maybe he wants you to, uh, to lead in some area. Maybe it's baking. Maybe it's technology. Maybe it's setting up. And you say, you know, I just don't know where to get involved. Well, here's the deal. Saturdays at 5 o'clock, we come and we set all this up. Just jump in. Just start somewhere. It's better to start somewhere than to keep praying about it and do nothing. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that just, I'm praying about where to serve. You're like, yeah, you got to pray. I get that. But man, st still get involved. Still jump in. Still do something. Obey Christ. Okay, just, just jump in and let him do something. Take your next steps. There are others of you, you've never begun to give your, your financial piece of this whole thing to God. God is the ruler of all. And according to his book, he created everything that we know and see. But there's something that happens whenever we say, hey, God wants us, according to Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, to offer our tithes back into his storehouse that there may be food in his house. He also promises us that if we'll test him in this area of our finances, that he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing upon us that we won't even have enough room to receive what he wants to give us. Have you ever been overwhelmed before? That's kind of what he's talking about. You know, at the end of a sporting event, maybe at the end of a football game when the, the team wins, um, they'll take that cooler and they'll overwhelm the coach with all the stuff, you know, all the Gatorade, they'll pour it all over. That's like overwhelming. That's kind of what God just told you. If you'll offer your 10% of your tithe back into his house and you'll give in faith, believing that God's in control of your life and you'll trust him in that area, he will overwhelm you with too much blessing that you won't even have enough room to receive it. Don't believe me? You don't have to. Believe this right here. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Say, where are you getting all that stuff? Malachi chapter 3, go read it. You'll love it. It's a cool concept because it's the best investment you can make because it's guaranteed. Guaranteed investment. Some of you guys, like, I don't know if I should take that step, dude. You don't have to take that step. I'm just telling you, it's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. I want you to be blessed and I want you to do it God's way because God's got a way of taking care of his people. Some of you, that's your next step. And you gotta get involved in these things. You gotta just trust God. Some of you need to take the step to get a Bible and start reading it. You know, if, if you've got an electronic device um, of any kind nowadays, you can go um, and download an app called YouVersion. YouVersion is a free Bible, okay? You get it for free, you don't have to pay anything. YouVersion, Y-O-U version, okay? Y-O-U version, get that app, it's free. Carry your Bible with you 24-7, okay? It's always with you. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like a hard copy of the Bible, listen, I'm giving you permission right now to go to that back table out there in that little cafe area and grab a Bible. It's there for you. That's why we got them. So I could tell you, hey, go grab a Bible. I want you to have God's word and I want you to read it and I want you to get it into your heart because if you will, you'll stop and you'll stay, you'll stay away from the things of this world and God will give you peace, hope, and a future. There's a fifth thing here that happens to most people that destroys their faith really quick. Uh, real quick. Let me, let me go back to that last one. Um, I want to show a picture here of my son. Go ahead and throw that up. Almost forgot. 
Yeah, this is my little dudes. Um, Jace is on the left and JJ's on the right. JJ just turned four years old and I love this boy. I love him to death. And uh, you know, when, you, when you're finally at that stage where you have a kid and you're holding them in your hands, you would do anything for him, man. Your heart melts and you say, oh, I don't even like kids. Listen, I'm t- I don't even care what you're saying to me right now. You don't even know, all right? Something happens when you look down and you say, this is a piece of me and this is a piece of my spouse. Something transfers in your mind and your heart. You're just willing to go above and beyond more than you would ever have done in your past. You're just willing. I just, just can't explain it until it happens to you. So some of you single people, I'm telling you one day that'll happen. For you guys that are parents, you know what I'm talking about. You know. My son on the right here, um, he, loves, he loves ice cream. He loves playing video games. He loves Mario specifically. He likes playing that game all day every day. He likes Angry Birds, all right? Loves that game. Um, he, loves, um, he loves going to the park and playing. He loves coming to Revolution Church and playing on the swing out there. That dude loves life. Now here's the deal. If I told JJ, hey, I want you to go upstairs. I want you to pick up all your toys and I want you to put them away. And he runs up the stairs. He's four years old. He runs up the stairs and he begins to pick up some of his stuff. And then he forgets because they, their attention spans like two and a half minutes long, right? They don't remember what they're supposed to be doing. And then he comes back downstairs maybe 25 minutes later. And I say, JJ, did you clean your room? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> some of you guys know this story. You've done this before. And he says, hey, daddy, can we go to the park? My first response back then was, well, did you really clean your room? And then I go check and, and it's like nothing's done, right? You've been here before, nothing's done. I say, JJ, you need to clean your room. Pick up these toys, put them away, da, da, da. And if I told him that, and then maybe 20 minutes later, he came back downstairs and said, uh, can I go to the park? I say, did you clean your room? Did you do what I asked you to do? And then I go upstairs and I realize he didn't do anything. At some point, the conversation will shift. Because at some point I go, okay, I was really nice about telling you what you needed to do. I was really calm and I said, hey, this is what really needs to be done. But I'm also, you know, like you guys, I'm on a time frame. Okay, we've got to get this cleaned up and we've got stuff to do. We've got places to go and people to see. And, and here's what's got to happen. You've got to do this. And if he looks up at me in that moment and says, can I get some ice cream? <laughs> I'm like, something's wrong with you, man. What's wrong with you? Like, you're not understanding what I'm saying. I, I need you to clean this. And so we can go start living life and doing what we're supposed to be doing. The reason I shared with you that story is because God's the exact same way. God's the exact same way. I think a lot of times he's told us what we're supposed to do. He's given us our next step and he said, hey, I want you to get involved in this ministry or I want you to do this or I want you to give 10% of your income to the church and just trust me. And honestly, you're not giving it to the church, you're giving it to God. But I, I just... I just want to implore that with you because I think a lot of times we want God to reward us and we want God to bless us, but yet we won't take our next step to follow him. And if you want your, your, your faith to falter fast, if you really want to get off track and if you want to fall out of church, here's, here's one of the quickest ways to do it. Just stay complacent where you're at. To not follow Christ, to not take your next step. And then go to God and say, God, why are you not providing for me? Why are you not helping me? I've got a problem here. I've got an issue. I'm struggling, God, and I feel like you're not doing, well, maybe it's because you weren't obedient. See, because at some point that conversation changes and I say, no, we're not going to get ice cream. No, we're not going to the park. You haven't done anything I've asked you to do. Why would I reward you with bad beha- for bad behavior? We wouldn't do that with our kids, but why do we think that God would do that with us? 
We don't follow his word, but then we want him to be our genie in the bottle. When there's a problem, we want to rub that genie out and say, God, help me. Why aren't you here? Well, you know what? I'm just going to give up on you then if you're not going to show up. Man, that's crazy, isn't it? Good way to illustrate that, wasn't it? Here we go. Fifth one. Our faith is destroyed fast when we do something wrong. This is from my experience. And we feel that everyone is judging us at church. I see more people fall out of church because of this reason right here than probably anything else. Our faith is destroyed fast. Something toxic happens. Something poisonous happens to our faith when we do something wrong, when we sin, and we feel that everyone is judging us at church. I want to give you a, a, a story of something that happened this week, and it was totally unexpected. And as we kind of close this out, this is the last point, but I want to kind of share something funny that happened. Monday, we had a real busy day, and Amy and I and the boys were out pretty much all day from early, early in the morning until right at about 5.15, 5.20. And uh, I was hungry, hadn't eaten dinner, and, and I go home and I pull up my computer screen, and I have like the Google alerts that tell you what you're supposed to be doing throughout the day. And I hadn't been there all day. So I click on it, and right on the very front of my screen, it says, Dallas Mavericks basketball game today at 7.30. And I had forgot that my wife had bought me um, tickets for our anniversary to the Dallas Mavericks game. And I just didn't even know what the dates were of this thing. I didn't know when it was. And I was thinking, you have got to be kidding me. This is going to be, a, and I was tired, but I didn't care. I was like, we're going to the Dallas Mavericks game. We got to leave right now in order to get there. So I get in the car and, and I leave and I had, it was, it was uh, tickets for two, two, two tickets for this game. And uh, Amy was tired. She didn't want to go. And I had my cousin Chase with me. And I said, Chase, let's go, dude. We're going to the Dallas Mavericks game. We're pumped. We're excited. And we get down to the center there. It's about 40 minutes away from where we live. And we were early, which I thought we were going to get stuck in traffic. We weren't going to get there on time. You know, it's going to be a mess. We get there, and I said, dude, I'm starving. I said, we need to go find some food. So I'm walking down this little arena area, and you know how, like, the security all has the burgundy coats that they wear? You know, there's security all over the place, and they got their little badges that they're wearing, stating that they're security. And, and I'm walking down, and the security guard says, hey, man, what's going on? And he's kind of like, we're there early, and so he's just trying to make a small talk with us. And, and I said, dude, I'm starving. And he goes, well, there's all sorts of food all the way around. He said, uh, he said, you guys are here early. I said, yeah, I didn't think we'd get here, whatever, long story short. And he says, dude, if you go down to section 104, he said, some of the basketball players come out during that time and you can get their autograph. I was like, are you serious, dude? This is the coolest thing ever. So I'm like, dude, where in the, point me to section 104. Let's go. So I was like, I don't care how hungry I am right now. I'm going to section 104. I want to see who's down there. And I want to see these basketball players. They're huge, by the way. I've never been, been to a real life game until this past Monday. They're so tall, it's unreal. Um, TV doesn't do justice there. But, but I went down to 104 and there was no security guard there to like, you know how they have the, at the entrance of everyone, you can't go in there unless you have your ticket. I didn't have a ticket for in there to 104. We were just there early enough. And I guess that security person didn't show up on time to, to notice. And listen to where we went. We went all the way down courtside. And I'm talking, we were close. So that picture up there uh, of how close we were. This is where we were. Now let me explain something. All right, look how tired I look, by the way. Okay, I was, I was beat, but I didn't care. I didn't care. This little barricade right here, this little black mark there, that barricade, um, eventually, you know, and I'm, I'm making wagers with Chase. I'm saying, Chase, how long do you think it'll be be 
before they come and kick us out of here because there's no reason why we belong here. I didn't get that security guard's name, by the way, who told me to go to 104, but we're down here and we're sitting on the very front row right next to this barricade. And literally, we, if you were to go like right here and see the picture, you could go out and like step onto the court. We took pictures right there. I mean, it was, it was unreal. And uh, what happened was they put on the little shot clock 30 minutes. We had 30 minutes till the game starts. I said, do you think we'll even make it to where the game starts? Like, do you think they'll rush us and like football tackle us down and like, we don't belong here. We don't have a ticket into this seat. And although these were amazing seats and this was a great experience, my problem was I knew and Chase knew that we weren't supposed to be there. You know, we didn't pay for the tickets and I opened up a pamphlet that they handed me as kind of we came in and I looked and they had a, a, a seating chart there and they showed me that where I was sitting cost $1,700, $1,700. Now I promise you, Amy didn't pay $1,700 for us to get these tickets, okay? $1,700 to sit where we're sitting. I, I look pretty happy there, dude. It was, it was a good day. Tired, but happy, right? And so we're sitting right here and I thought we're never gonna make it. So literally like 10 minute countdown until the game started. I'm like, dude, we're not gonna make it, dude. We're sweating. You know, we're, we're red, everybody that walked, I'm white as a ghost for a reason, all right? Like, I'm like, I shouldn't be here. And uh, what happened, what was really funny was there was probably about 50, I'm not lying, 50 of those burgundy coat security guards lined up right here. I'm talking, we were, we, Arkansas, we were this close, man. I'm sitting right here and the security guard's sitting right, like looking to make sure nobody's coming into the area that's not supposed to be. And I'm right here and I'm like, this is horrible. And so we finally, the buzzer goes off, they sing the national anthem. I'm trying to like, I'm sweating. I'm, everybody, everybody in that area, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, they all know. They all know. Every single one of them know. You know, I, everybody that would come down the little aisleway, you know, making their way down to these front, I'm like, this is their seat. They're coming to sit in this seat. And, and I, I'm telling you, it, my stomach hurt, I hadn't eaten. I'm like, dude, this is awful. We should have been enjoying the experience of being right there, but there was no enjoyment in this because I just knew that somebody was gonna tackle us. Well, it was, the game starts. The game starts and I'm like, this is wrong. Chase is like, what do we do? I was like, I don't know. I'm like, froze, what do we do? And finally, somebody came down that little aisleway and they said, hey, man, I think that you're in our seats. And, and that was it. Voosh, security came down. They were like, can I see your ticket stub? And I'm like, well, yeah, you can see my ticket stub. So we pull our ticket stub. <laughs> and literally, this is the look. <laughs> Let me show you where our seats were. Throw that next picture up. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's where our ticket stub was, <laughs> where we were supposed to be the whole time. Revolution box, that's it, man. Nosebleed section, okay? Um, it was incredible. Um, but let me tell you something. The reason I share that story with you is because I was really up close, and I should have been in an area where I should have experienced true joy. I should have been having the time of my life. But there was no joy there because I knew I had done something wrong. And you know what I thought? I thought that everybody else knew that I did something wrong. Here's the reality, nobody had a clue except for those people. Not even the security guards had a clue except for those people that had those seats. Nobody, 
but I was sweating. I was eager. Let me tell you the best part of the story. This is hilarious. And God, did, God just was laughing. He was laughing. He did this one on purpose. So we're about six to seven minutes into the game. And that security guard says that. And I said, well, I didn't know what, I didn't know if they were going to arrest me. I didn't know what was going to happen. I'd never done that before. And so I said, well, you know, I'm only here because there was a security guard that told me to come to 104. And she said, I've heard that they do that before. So I was like, thank the Lord. And so uh, she said, I said, we will go in peace to our section up at the road, you know, section three, whatever. And uh, so I, right when we stood up and I, I nudged Chase, I said, dude, we got to go. And right when I stood up, no lie, a call had been made in the game that everybody hated and everybody started booing. Boo! I'm talking the whole place erupted. And so we're walking out and we're thinking they're all booing us right now, you know, because they hate that we like broke the rules. $1,700 seats. But here's the reality. I couldn't enjoy that because I wasn't supposed to be there, but nobody knew about it really. Nobody, all those people booing, they weren't booing us. They were booing a call that was made on the floor. Only a couple people even knew. Three people in the whole stadium. Look how big that's, three people in the whole stadium even knew what happened. Why did I tell you all that? We know what happened. (laughs) Here's why I share that with you. When we sin and we do something wrong and we come into the church, we think that everybody knows. We think that everybody's looking at us. We think that everybody's judging us. We think that they've all talked about us, that they've gossiped about us, that they know what we've done wrong and that we don't fit. That's the way we feel. This destroys churches fast and this destroys faith fast. Because what happens is the place that you loved, the place that you came to to commune with Jesus, the place that should be a worship life change experience the reason you joined the church was why? Because you loved the music. You loved the preaching. You loved the teaching. You loved everything that was happening here. You loved the ministries that were taking place. You loved that the kids were taken care of. You loved everything about it. But once we sin, we feel uncomfortable. We feel distant. And then we fall out because we think people are judging us. I want to challenge you today to not believe that lie. Do not believe that lie. Because here's what's going to happen. At some point, you're going to fall. You're going to sin. You're going to do something wrong. And you're going to be tempted to believe that everybody's judging you. And I want you to not do that. I want you to stand true on God's word. Believe it. Believe in Jesus as who he says he is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Take your next steps to take care of his church. Because as you take your next steps, that's how you take care of the church. And then don't be betrayed by the sin that you do to believe that you don't belong. Here's the reality. I'm going to close with this. We are all sinners. We are all broken people and we meet in this place and God's putting us back together. That's the truth. Would you bow your heads and pray with me right now?